And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, a Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ian Irving, Laurie Whitwell and Andy Mitten are with us and today we're going to be looking back at Manchester United's transfer window. But first, news broke over the weekend that United striker Mason Greenwood has been arrested on suspicion of rape and assault following allegations on social media. Greater Manchester Police said it was made aware of social media images and videos posted by a woman reporting incidents of physical violence. They added, we can confirm a man in his 20s has since been arrested on suspicion of rape and assault. He remains in custody for questioning and inquiries are ongoing. The club said that they do not condone violence of any kind and have been made aware of the allegations on social media but would make no further comments until the facts have been established. It has been reported on The Athletic that the club will not be providing the player with legal counsel. Nike, who sponsor Greenwood, said they have suspended their relationship with him, while two United sponsors have also published statements. Software company TeamViewer and confectioner Cadbury say they are monitoring the situation, and Cadbury also said that they will not feature Greenwood in any marketing or products they create with Manchester United. A Greater Manchester Police statement released on Monday said inquiries are ongoing and the victim is being offered specialist support. We remind people to avoid any commentary or sharing of images that could compromise the victim's right to lifelong anonymity or risk prejudicing a live investigation with active proceedings. At the time of recording, which is just after 1pm on Tuesday, we've just learned that police have been granted additional time to question Greenwood, and while the police investigation remains active, that is all we can say on the matter for now. You're listening to Talk of the Devils, a Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Okay, transfer deadline day came and went really for Manchester United with no players coming in, but quite a few outgoings and also quite a few players who stayed who we'll also talk about as well. Um, Donny van der Beek, I guess Andy, was the headline in terms of what actually happened with players leaving Manchester United. It sort of came as a a surprise in the end. I don't think it was the plan originally for van der Beek to leave on loan. So why did he go? Well, I was told he was going to go in September to Everton. Certainly people at the club understood that uh, towards the end of the the last transfer window I think he went for a very simple reason he's a footballer and footballers tend to want to play football and his unease at the situation uh, has has been pretty obvious Um, it's not straightforward I think there's lots of questions uh, around him and why he was signed I think he's also popular with a number of United fans who hoped for a brighter future than him the Stratford end sang his name frequently in some of his um, cameos as a substitute but he barely featured under the man who signed him Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and he barely featured under Ralph Rangnick and if you're him in a World Cup year having lost your place in the national team you're going to want to get back into that national team so 
Everton means that he doesn't have to uproot where he's based. Uh, he had some dealings with Frank Lampard. As I understood it, Lampard, when he went into Everton, uh, told them the players he would bring in and felt that he could get with some confidence, whereas some of the other managers who applied for that job didn't d do that. So he'll go there with Everton fans hoping he, he does well, just as they hoped Morgan Schneidlin, another former Manchester United midfielder who, who went there, having uh, asked to leave Manchester United, would do well. Morgan had a pretty mixed bag uh, and moved on. Uh, I hope that Donny does well and shows that he's a player that he was. We saw glimpses of at Ajax, if, if very rarely, at Manchester United. Yeah, Laurie, a couple of things to point out, really, at this point. We, we've talked quite a lot on the podcast this year already about Donny van der Beek, why he wasn't playing more for Manchester United. And you've written that the sort of verdict was that he... It, the coaches and, and the managers of Manchester United, because there's been two of them, of course, have, have all decided that he maybe wasn't cut out quite for the rigours of Premier League football. Well, I guess we're going to find that out over the next six months or so at Everton, aren't we? And there's no option to buy in there. So clearly United feel that he has got a future still potentially at Old Trafford. Yeah, they didn't want to let him go on a permanent basis because they don't know yet who the manager's going to be in the summer, which has kind of coloured all this transfer activity in January where it's kind of been... Um, let's not make anything too drastic a change, you know, in terms of either an incoming or, or an outgoing. So temporary situations, temporary solutions. Um, so yeah, United ideally would like to see if Donny van der Beek can cut it in the Premier League because that's been the big question. He's not started a Premier League game all season. Um, and clearly he has been wanting to get out, you know, to, to play regularly for a long time. Now this is a chance at Everton to go and do that. Clearly he's going into a situation that's quite febrile, you know, um, a club that's in a difficult position, a new manager in Frank Lampard. It feels like perhaps the mood is a bit better than it, than it was under Rafael Benitez at the end of his tenure. Um, but clearly he's going to still have to fight for his place a little bit. You've got, you've got Deli Alley that's gone there as well. I don't know, it'd be interesting to be a fly on the wall when Donny van der Beek discovered that that was happening as well, because clearly... They are, I guess, slightly different players, but equally, that if they're both you know, vying for that number 10 position... Or eight. Eight, or eight. as well, potentially, yeah. however Lampard wants to use them. Yeah, completely. So it's an interesting one to, to have a look at. Um, and clearly, United will hope that he goes there and plays regularly and ideally, you know, either increases his transfer value if they think ultimately the new manager that comes in in the summer thinks that he isn't equipped to play for Manchester United in the Premier League or if a new manager thinks actually he's, he's had a good run here, let's give him a go. And, you know, he can perhaps actually really start his Manchester United career in, in earnest because so far it's just been stalled. It's sort of a no-lose situation in a sense for United because either he's increasing his value, he's proven he can make it in the Premier League or if it doesn't work out at Goodison Park, all it really does is underline the verdict that Solskjaer and Rangnick seem to have had on him that, that he isn't cut out for English football. So no matter what, it, it seems like uh, it's something that can work for United. And Andy... They've sort of proved this year that they don't necessarily need him either, considering he's had so so limited opportunities with the other midfield options. Paul Pogba's back soon as well, which will limit his chances even further. He's had very few opportunities, but when he has had those opportunities, could you argue with conviction that he's taken them? Where he said to the manager, "You've got to be picking me next week because I've been I've been that good." Uh, if he can go to Everton, if he can establish himself in a forward-thinking Premier League team, I know that Everton are facing relegation. They didn't look like a relegation side when they came to Old Trafford in the league. Thought they were, they've got some decent players there. And if he can play well, then his, his value will definitely rise. His stock will rise. His confidence will rise. He's clearly highly rated as a player by some people. 
But Ralph Rangnick and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer uh, have used him extremely sparingly, which leads to the question, why sign him in, in the first place? So it could be a loan move which works well for all parties. If you're a dominant player in a good Premier League side, you're going to be worth a lot, lot more than Donny van der Beek's current value is. And Everton have had some cracking players. They've squandered fortunes. They've had lads like Andre Gomez there, who Barcelona played 50 million for. And Everton's been a basket case of, of a, a club synonymous with a lot of failings, given the managers they've had. So he's walking into a tricky situation. If people think that United has been bad for him, it could work out that Everton's even, even worse for him. But... As I understand it, the manager wanted to bring him in. So you would suspect that that manager is now going to play him and give him a fair run. Everton's fans are really demanding. They're very quick to turn. Uh, it's a very frustrating place for a footballer uh, if things uh, are not going well and their turnover of players is almost as high as uh, the managers that they go through. But I wish him well. I really do. I hope that he can play well. He can show that he can perform in a decent side. And then in the summer, whoever is making the decision at Manchester United can make a better evaluation than someone who's not playing at all. OK, well, Van der Beek did leave, um, perhaps unexpectedly. One player we expected to leave has stayed, perhaps unexpectedly, and that's Jesse Lingard. Laurie, what on earth has gone on here? Because I'm lost, really. I don't know where we're up to with any of it. There were so many different strands to this. Um, can you just break it down a little bit as to what happened? Yeah, I mean, we tried to set the scene a little bit ahead of time uh, last week where we wrote a piece about Jesse Lingard's yeah, approach by Newcastle, really. They, they, were the, they were the team that I think we all thought if he was going to go somewhere, he'd go to them just because they've got the resources, they're not a rival for a European place. But on the flip side, Manchester United were adding in a survival bonus of a an enormous amount really when you think about the uh, the time that he'd spend at Newcastle but then in a ratio of what it would uh, provide Newcastle to stay up you know 100 million more than that it's sort of 10 12 million pound um, survival bonus perhaps you know is a, is a kind of fair recompense for a player that would probably start for them every week in the Premier League um, but yeah the, the way it actually shook down ultimately is that you know Jesse Lingard got a blessing from Ralph Rangnick to go. You know, I think Ralph Rangnick again with the Donny Van der Beek situation, he's been quite pragmatic, and he realizes that he, he could hold these players for himself because he wants to get results right now. But he realizes that it's better to let them go and, and leave if if they're not going to play regularly. So, um, gave his blessing to Jesse Lingard. That's when Newcastle started to make their move. But clearly, United, you know, uh, put the blockers on it in that regard. And then same thing happened again on deadline day. He spoke to Ralph Rangnick. Ralph Rangnick said, "Yes, no problem." But then, um, you know, the board, I suppose, had a different idea of things. If Newcastle had come up to the price that United wanted, could it have happened then? Possibly. Um, equally, you do wonder about Mason Greenwood's availability and the fact that he, you know, won't be available for until further notice, as Manchester United have said. Whether that played a part in a, a player of Jesse Lingard's position on the pitch. Um, but I mean, also, you know, clearly West Ham would have liked to sign Jesse Lingard as well, but United didn't countenance that as, a, as an opportunity because of that kind of competitiveness around uh, a European place. And as I mentioned in my piece, it's something that Sergio Romero had when he you know, wanted to go to Everton and, and the block was put on that at the time. So it's a, a kind of consistent theme from United. And I, I do have a question about it just because I, I feel that, you know, if, if United really are stopping players going out for that reason, 
what does that say about United's aspirations? Um, and, and there is a, a point where managing a squad and having a harmonious squad of, of happy competing players is is more um, is worth more value than allowing a player out to another team who might ultimately possibly pip you in a certain position. Um, I mean, certainly you also have got like Jesse Lingard's you know relationship, I suppose, with Manchester United previously, and you know certain. I think people in his camp have perhaps jarred heads with people at United. And I think that kind of personal aspect is is at play here where United aren't going to roll out the red carpet for Jesse Lingard to leave if it's been difficult before now. You know, you look at Anthony Martial being allowed to leave on a free, basically, no loan fee, you know, from Sevilla. Um, that was never going to be the case with Jesse Lingard. So different situations for sure. So something else is going on there, I think. Um, but ultimately, United have got a player... An unhappy player, you know, um, certainly has voiced that to teammates that he wanted to leave. What is the benefit to United on that regard? It's it's an unsatisfactory situation really all around, I think. Is he going to play more, Andy, now? I think it's more probable that he will do, given the fact that Mason Greenwood is unlikely to feature. Anthony Martial has gone, Donny van der Beek's gone. So you've taken three players out of positions where Jesse Lingard, because he's so versatile could play. So I think it's inevitable that he will what play about, more. What about the fact, though, that the manager's said you're free to leave if you want to? D- does that not suggest that he's surplus to requirements? We, we were talking last week about that random TikTok video as well, where he said, oh, he's leaving, so it doesn't matter. I mean, th- that doesn't suggest that he's that far forward in Ragnit's thinking, does it? I don't think he would be in his starting eleven. but managers don't get to choose their idealised starting 11s every week. Laurie used the word pragmatic, and I think that's the right word um, to use in this situation. I think to Ralph Ragnick's um, credit, he's always very honest when he's asked questions and he deals with different players and the, the set of circumstances on a day-to-day basis. I don't think he's got any particularly strong uh, agendas. Uh, Laurie also used the word jar, I don't think the club were impressed at all last week when there were a series of of critical um, articles about the club coming from the Lingard camp. And I think the club had felt that they'd been, they treated Jesse Lingard well. So there's lots of factors coming into play here. I don't think Manchester United were in any rush to help Newcastle United, who are likely to be a major rival um, given their finances in the next few years. And that's an, that's a, a, another factor. And there are other factors that, that people don't know about either. There's there's a question of um, of money and and wages. And I don't think there was a lot of goodwill to get this get this deal done. I do think that um, the, now that the deal has not been done, you've got a versatile, uh, talented player who may well end up playing a far more important role, certainly than he has done so far this season, which has been a minimal one. All it would take is a couple of injuries and suddenly he would be a first-choice starter. Would Manchester United fans be up in arms at that? I don't think they would. I don't think he'd be in many fans' first eleven. but he's a, he's a decent player and if he gets the run that he wants, he, he might show that once more. This is the- 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, so obviously that's Donny van der Beek, a player who didn't leave. Um, we'll talk about a couple of others who were maybe flirting with leaving Manchester United as well. But before we do that, there's one lad that we need to talk about first. Here's Barisic. Up towards Eton, closely watched by Baldwin. But it's picked up by Arebo and Amad Diallo is there to tap it in. Four minutes in to his Rangers debut. This could be... The start of something special for him and for Rangers. Yes, Ahmad doing exactly on his Rangers debut, incredibly, what he did on his Manchester United debut, scoring with his first touch for his new team. That's the way to kick things off. And he also uh, scored on his debut, I think just four or five minutes into that for Atalanta as well. So he's got form for it. Um, It's obviously happened since the last time we spoke on the podcast as well. Andy, um, what sort of a move is this for him? I, I guess it's still in British football, so it's it's getting a taste of what he might expect in the Premier League. Is that the thinking behind it? That's part of the thinking behind it. There's definitely been occasions in the last few years where Manchester United have wanted players, if they did go on loan, to go to a country which is uh, associated with a certain style of football. It's why they've been happy for players to go to Spain, for example, where they felt that their technical side would develop. It's also why they've pushed for players to stay in England usually, but Scotland, it's a very similar type of, of physical football. I think from his perspective, if you go to Rangers, they're a huge club, you're going to be playing in front of 50,000 fans in big city football. You know, it really matters if you're playing at Rangers. And he scored the goal at the weekend at, at Ross County. It's a tiny ground, it's four or 5,000 p- people there, but there's going to be plenty of big occasions for him as a, as a Rangers player, Aaron Ramsey's gone there as well. And that was one of the reasons he gave for going there. I mean, when I was a bit younger, Rangers were of the power to buy the best players from the Premier League before the Premier League came into its TV monies. So I think for him, playing in front of so many fans in a brilliant stadium, and I think technically he could be a cut above, he could, he could do well there. Again, that could list, lift his confidence and it could be a win-win for everybody. He wasn't getting the chances that he hoped for at Manchester United. So I don't see any big deal with that. Clearly, the technical level in the Scottish Premier League is a long way below now the, the top teams of, of the Premier League. But he's still young. He's still got time to develop. What's wrong with him doing well there and going on, on another loan? Laurie, there aren't many reasons why Manchester United fans would tune into a Ross County match at 12.30 on a Saturday. But... It gave everyone a reason to take an interest in that game. And a bit like Van der Beek, really, there's there's a little bit of an unknown quantity still to Ahmad, isn't there? Yeah, it's a really good point, actually. And I think people will will tune in. You know, I think they'll keep looking and seeing how he's doing. And I think people will quite Now Gerard's that. that manager as well, yeah. Well, there we go. We've, we've, we've sidestepped that 
uh, sort of link that perhaps might uh, make people perhaps slightly reluctant to to give it the full cheering if he scores. Um, but it was quite cool, wasn't it? When he's you know f- four minutes in, and I'm, I'm getting messages off my mates sort of pinging and going, "Bloody hell, he scored straight away!" Um, and you're sort of thinking, "Okay, good. You know, it's a good start. Okay, it's Ross County, um, and I think perhaps he tired as the game wore on. Um, the level, as Andy said, you know, probably won't be." at the level that he, well, it certainly won't be at the level of the Premier League but it, it won't be at a level that will it test him every single week but that's what you want to see you want to see him go and star and perform and if he goes and does that and then also you've got a, you know, a few crucial games clearly Celtic coming up by the way that's that's tomorrow yeah. the old firm game his second match straight into that. the I mean, what an experience that is yeah at Celtic Park as well. Perfect. Well, there you go. So that's that's exactly what he needs. An, an atmosphere that's you know, uh, uh, is it going to be? Well, it's going to be very vociferous. You know, how does he perform in that? If he's getting heckled by the fans, that's that's kind of what you want to see because he's experienced this before now. Obviously, it was mainly lockdown, wasn't it, for Manchester United, um, and then Atalanta and, and youth games. So he, I don't think he's had that much experience of this kind of real animosity. So it'll be interesting to see how he comes through that, as well as the physical sort of demands of a game, you know, which, which you expect to be played at pretty high tempo. And I do think the Aaron Ramsey thing is a really interesting addition for, for Rangers and for Ahmad in particular, because he is a, a skillful, skillful player. I've watched him for Wales a lot of times, and I know that he's had a tough time in Juventus and, and not really played all that much a lot. But at the Euros last year, you know, I was away in Baku watching him play, running all over the pitch against Turkey, and he's still got the engine. So I th- hopefully Ahmad can kind of have a player like that who's, who's experienced things. Okay, he's perhaps not you know won titles, but he's won FA Cups and he's, he's been at the highest level of football for a while. You know, he's been at the Euros uh, 2016 semi-finals. So that kind of thing, I hope that can kind of rub, rub off on him as a, as a player. He seems like a a nice lad Ahmad that kind of wants to learn and you know I think going to Rangers shows that he you know he has got a drive to perform regularly it's not like he's kind of happy to be you know playing for under 23s football you know I speak to people around that kind of level and, and he was he was too good for 23s football um you know you could see how, how highly is he rated Laurie it depends I think people look at him and go is is is, is he ever going to have the the kind of the stature to play for Manchester United at the top level Champions League. And I know that might sound ridiculous, you know, look at the size of Lionel Messi. And often you'd see Ahmad actually, you know, brushing off, um, you know, rival defenders, I suppose. But I think it's it's perhaps a little bit more than that. It's that stamina to keep going. It's that um, sort of intelligence on the football pitch. He's definitely done some really nice moments, you know, away at Wolves last season, some of the passes he was making, the dribbling that he was doing. But I think there's that... Well, the goal, the goal, the goal on his debut, like Simulam. the improvisation yeah. and the, the, the sort of presence of mind to do that with your first touch for United was incredible, wasn't it? For sure, definitely. And But I just think it's that... That sort of next level is can he, you know, can he can he do that for Manchester United on a, on a weekly basis and the demand that that takes. So that's if that wasn't the case, he would have had more. He would have featured more already. So that's the question mark right now. Um, and I know he's had his injury, and that's what happened with the Feyenoord loan that got cancelled. But there was a, you know, did he get injured because he he was trying to step it up with the first team and and he perhaps wasn't quite ready. You know, the the, the rigors that that entails. So that, that that kind of question. But clearly, you look at him and he is technically you know very sharp um, and, and he seems like he's got a good attitude so you kind of hope that that will provide him you know a good loan spell at Rangers and, and come back in the summer and United can actually use him next year. Right as promised then let's talk about two other players who didn't leave Manchester United on deadline day. First up Phil Jones must be the only man in Lancashire ever to turn down a Bordeaux. No? Are you with well, me? I, it's a fine I, red wine. A glass isn't it? of Bordeaux. Right, we are talking that. I wasn't sure if we were going for you know a little trip to the south coast of France, and you, you know, I mean, I, 
I, well, I would have thought the, that would yeah. be quite an appealing proposition for. Also, I don't know why I sort of made like Lancashire a thing, like they're big red wine drinkers. I, I, it just felt like an apt thing to say. If I'd said like a Lancashire man turned down hot pot or something, that would have perhaps made more sense. But the question is then, really, why did he turn down Bordeaux, Laurie? <laughs> um, I think he wasn't assured of the game time that he'd get there. Um, you know, clearly, if you're going to go. Well, I know they're not, not flying high in League 1 at the moment, but um, if he's got some doubts about playing every week, I know that he's not playing much at Manchester United. He had a sort of, you know, a, a brief foray into the spotlight again, did very well against Wolves, but, um, you know, perhaps he still feels that there's a chance to, to play at United and be around the place um, as well. Um, you know, you never know. Ralph Randick has, I think, debated with the back three at different times. So clearly a switch to that kind of system would give Phil Jones more opportunity. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people were looking at that and thinking that could be a really good move for him. Certainly there's people around him that were advising him to say, actually, you know, um, Bordeaux could, could, could present you with an opportunity to play regularly. In a way, getting out of the sort of bubble of Manchester United yeah. and all the, the, the baggage that's been attached, yeah. attached for that, uh, for Phil Jones as well, maybe. For sure. But, but at the same time, if if you're just not feeling it, you know, I'd, I guess maybe that was it. You know, it's a, a trip to another country and settling in again and if if you're not totally sold if if you don't if you don't think you're going to go there and be you know regular every week I can understand him also thinking well I don't really want to go there and sit on the bench so if if there's a debate about it I I don't you know I don't have any I can understand where he's coming from there Um, but yeah I think there are people that would have looked at and gone yeah really good move so yeah, I mean, he, he he does need to 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 go and play at some stage. Um, that's been the kind of big debating point. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Andy? Uh, good city would have been a nice place for him to move to, but look at the league on table. Bordeaux are seventeenth, and they've conceded far more goals than any other team. Fifty three goals in twenty two matches, and they've only won four matches. So they shouldn't be in that position. They're a, they're a big city club. So you could look at that two ways as a defender. You can figure out, I'm going to be really, really busy yeah. here. Cool hero if he goes in and to, sorts it. To, to, to sample any, any red wine. Well, also, surely that suggests he is going to get playing time if that's the way they've been defending this year. It, it, it would it would suggest that. But then I was told when he came back in and, and had that very good game against Wolves that his body would be managed, which led me to think that he's not somebody who's going to be playing twice a week all the time. So I don't know the intricacies of his decision into that. Um, maybe he feels he's got something to give after that performance against Wolves. Fans were definitely predisposed to support him. But then we've seen Varane doing really well. You wonder where his opportunities are, are going to come in now. So maybe he's just decided on the uh, after weighing up the option of Bordeaux that he was prepared to go out and play. And I was told he was prepared to go out and play. I was told that in December just to play football, but the Bordeaux, for whatever reason, wasn't right for him. Yeah, of course, Eric Bailly, another player who's not left during this January transfer window, which there was tons of speculation about. Um, not much on deadline day, to be fair, but one player who did sort of surface that he might leave on deadline day all of a sudden, quite late on, was Dean Henderson. Now, we know that he wants first-team football. We know that he wants to play more. I don't think that's a, a secret in, in any way, shape or form. But where did the links from to Newcastle come from, Laurie? Is that something that just sort of appeared last minute almost. I think, you know, Newcastle have clearly been in the market this month and, uh, you know, looking at various players and I think he was brought up as somebody who clearly w- was available if 
that's what Newcastle wanted. As far as we understand it, you know, speak to some of my colleagues that cover Newcastle United and they were saying that different positions were always the priority, you know, certainly up front, midfield, you know, they've, they've enhanced in different ways, haven't they, Newcastle? So I think Henderson was always, or, or a goalkeeper was always, you know, perhaps lower down the list of, of possibilities. But, that, you know, that being said, there were, you know, some talks. It was kind of like, okay, what would what would it cost? What You know, would that be something that might be um, of interest? And then, you know, late, as you said, as you said, Ian, on, on deadline day, uh, Watford uh, became, you know, sort of had, had a bit of an inquiry. Um, it was always unlikely, I suppose, because, you know, I think Watford have to shift, had, to, had to shift a goalkeeper out and then United would have perhaps had to get another one in. I mean, Tom Heaton, you know, has, has perhaps done well, you know, around the place, certainly as a character. Um, would United have, have completed the season with him as, as the sole number two? There's perhaps a debate there. Um, so ultimately, it never really got to a stage where, you know, it was looking likely that it was going to leave, but, you know, there was sort of tentative inquiries. I think one thing that perhaps has um, caused some issue for Dean Henderson this month, we wrote about it, um, my colleague Dan Sheldon ultimately did the piece on on Brexit regulations and how clubs on, on the continent now, if they sign a British player, you know, they count as a non-EU player. So Ajax, for example, was one of the clubs that were perhaps having a look at him. Um, I mean, Onana never left in the end, he's, he's leaving in the summer, but... Um, Dean Henderson would have been, you know, a non-EU player for for a European club. So they were perhaps, you know, not as uh, willing as they've perhaps been in, in recent years to to take a, a bit of a punt on a British player. So, but yeah, clearly it's going to be one in the summer that will come up again because you know Dean Henderson does not want to be a number two, and his his chances this season have been few and far between. I find the Brexit thing re- really interesting, and I'm, maybe the word stockpile is too strong a word, but before the deadline, Manchester United bought several players in younger emerging players but paid millions for them paid a lot of money for them and I know that United were really worried about the implications of Brexit and I know those implications have come through in in, in a staggered manner but I still found the article very interesting you're quite right on on Dean Henderson he's, he's a Premier League standard goalkeeper you might even say a, a top Premier League standard goalkeeper who wants to be playing all the time there's only 20 players who can do that I know Sam Johnson who we interviewed in the Athletic, he's a Premier League standard goalkeeper, but he's playing for West Bromwich Albion. And if you'd have asked him a year ago when he was doing well for West Brom and they were going down, he would have certainly saw his future in the Premier League. Doesn't always materialise how you like it to happen. And that's been the same with Dean Henderson. He was United's number one at times last season. And now he's he's barely featuring. So you can understand why he'd want to move on. But Andy, of course, there was... A keeper who did leave Manchester United yesterday, wasn't there? Yeah, Matic Kovar, he's gone to Burton Albion um, to replace Kieran O'Hara, who was also a former Manchester United goalkeeper, and he'd gone on to Fleetwood Town. I know that United have been looking to get uh, Matic out on loan for some time now. Certainly we're looking at it last season and we're struggling to find uh, the right club for him. So he's gone to Burton, where previous Manchester United goalkeepers have done well. If he's playing competitive football... The wrong end of the league table, then that could be a good experience for him. It's not too far from Manchester. I went to see Kieran O'Hara when he was there, and he was able to still live in Manchester and, and go back and forward. Okay, well, as promised at the start of the show, we also need to talk about the fact that Manchester United haven't signed anyone. 
Um, there was a lot of clamour around, certainly for a midfielder, Laurie. Carl Anker's take on Manchester United's squad is on the Athletic now, post the January transfer window, of course. Was it a glaring omission, a glaring error not to sign a midfielder, Laurie? Uh, well, I mean, United had set the stall out at the start of the window. I think they, you know, th- their view is that January is a difficult month to do business in and they would only have acted on something if it was a summer target that they could have brought forward. Um, I have a slightly different opinion just because of the way that United have been, you know, in performances and, and, and in the squad balance that actually, you know, could they have done something um, creative maybe? Um, certainly Ralph Ranić, I think, would have, would have quite liked a midfield addition. Um, I think he proposed a couple of names, but equally, at the same token, I don't think he was banging down the door saying, I absolutely have to get a sign. And I think he understands, back to that word pragmatic, <laughs> I think he understands where he is at the moment and you know what his, you know, his responsibilities are in this very instance. Um, yeah, we'll see in the fullness of time, won't we? I mean, Donny van der Beek's gone. So you've got Scott McTominay, Fred... Um, Nemanja Matic, Paul Pogba, although you know whether he's, he's a deep midfielder, we'll see. Um, and I mean, they, they have got perhaps a slight addition in Hannibal Mesbury, who has done really well for the 23s previously. Um, he was away at the AFCON with Tunisia, although he didn't actually feature as much, I think, as he would have hoped. He, he didn't come on at all in the game against Burkina Faso when Tunisia went out, um, had a couple of appearances in the group stages, um, but didn't play a full game. So I think he would have been disappointed with that. But he has he's a really talented lad, and I think he's a, he's got a good head on him as well. Uh, he gets kind of kicked quite a lot, but he's, he's kind of developing a sort of robust um, exterior for that um, and he's, he's a bit of a team player as well so he's set to come back from AFCON and go into first team training and, and hopefully that challenges him and I think it might be too soon for him to actually appear for United but he's, he's probably an option for Ralph Rannick as the season progresses um, and there'll be a piece on him on the Athletic coming up in the next few days um, so if people want to check that out they can do but I think overall as far as signings are concerned United you know they set the stall out from the from the day one of, of the January transfer window, that they weren't really going to advance anything, and, and that's how it's ended. Andy, what does it say about Ralph Rangnick's potential future as Manchester United manager beyond this season that his transfer window, his first transfer window, no one was signed? I think when he took the job, they had a chat and he agreed to work within the existing structure. Of course, football changes very quickly, so those coaches he'd agreed to work with, several of them left within a, a couple of weeks, but United felt that they'd pushed the boat out um, in last summer with the transfer window, with Cristiano coming in later on, on, on not um, not a small remuneration either. And the club rule was pretty consistent that uh, it would be about players moving on because the squad was too big. And a lot of fans won't like that because they say that United need a player in this position or that position. I'm also seeing fans of other clubs even more furious because their squads look a lot more short than Manchester United's but I still think there's a there's a lot of talent in United's squad and the issue isn't maybe just bringing in a pl- one player thinking that that's going to be a panacea to all of United's problems I think there's still a several players who've not come close to the type of form we would have expected from them this season and Ralph Rangnick's got plenty of work to get those players performing in a coherent manner uh, for a team playing in a more established style than what we've been seeing. The league table hasn't lied and it was a boost after those two wins for United to jump up from from 7th to 4th and 4th would actually be seen as a success, I think, for Ralph Rangnick given 
what what he inherited and, and, and when he did do. But the current players at Manchester United have still got to convince a lot more than they have done uh, this season. I'd certainly be expecting a lot more from at least half a dozen players who've underwhelmed so far this season. Yeah, certainly in an attacking sense, Larry. I mean, just to read off some of the names that United have now got to choose from. Ronaldo, Rashford, Cavani, Sancho, Anthony Alanga, who's made his impact. Jesse Lingard, who's been kept on now. Juan Mata, who's not even really part of the conversation. Deeper than that, Bruno Fernandes, Paul Pogba. It's not It's not an area, certainly attack. I mean, maybe we are talking about midfield as the, as the area that maybe could have been looked at. But in terms of options for United, it's difficult to find that lineup of of talent in a United squad ever, isn't it? That, that's how good potentially this team is in, in terms of the names and the numbers in those areas. Yeah, um, but I guess we thought this at the start of the season when we looked at that squad and thought it's a, a potential one to challenge for a title and it's you know it's unravelled, so it's kind of getting them all working, getting them all on the pitch at the same time, getting them all working together um, as a unified base. I, I do think um, Ralph Randick switched to a sort of 4-3-3 has has unlocked a bit more potential really because you can have Bruno Fernandes there as, as an A, you know, and then you know it's, it's kind of a bit more balanced. I think if you if you've got two deep midfielders and him as the number ten, it kind of it, it puts a lot of onus on um, the, the two guys behind him to kind of stay in that kind of role really and let him do his thing. Whereas if it, you know you've got a bit more flexibility with him, you know, sort of running up and down. Um, and so therefore, I suppose you could sort of say, you know, Pogba could be that kind of position as well, rather than just as a, as a two deeper ones, because that I don't think suits him really. Um, you know, clearly it was a system that he did well at Juventus with. We've mentioned that before. So, um, but I think that there's at least that tactical switch. And, and, and yeah, I mean, clearly we saw against West Ham, there was a bit more encouragement, I suppose, in terms of players doing the tasks that they've been asked to do. As you mentioned, Ante Langer, work off the ball. Clearly he'll do what Ralph Rennick asked him to do. So I think that at least that gives some crumb of comfort for the chance of United actually going on an OK run and, and kind of getting into that top four in a proper way. And then obviously the Champions League will start at the end of this month um, against Atletico Madrid. So that's you know coming on the horizon as well. Just a final thought then on, on deadline day in the January transfer window, really. There was one other obviously major news from Manchester United on the 31st of January, and that was it was Ed Woodward signing off as United's executive vice chairman. Um, was that maybe another factor in, in why there wasn't any business done in the end, possibly? I don't think it was, no. I think that he'd, he'd um, announced a few weeks ago the day that he was going. I don't think most United fans would be sad to see him go at all. We had a number of very critical letters about Edward Wood to United We Stand, which we which we published. And I think his reign at United in the eyes of most fans will be seen as a failure. United failed to win the Premier League title, didn't even come close. I think Woodward's perspective is that um, Alex Ferguson saying that he was going to be leaving um, was something that he struggled to to, to get uh, get over for a, a long, long time. And you could still say that there's still a shadow of that uh, even now. So Richard Arnold will will replace Ed Woodward, and I've no idea what Ed Woodward's um, going to do next. We'll wait to see that, certainly, won't we? Um, right, just before we wrap things up then, um, I need to point out, you mentioned about a piece on Hannibal that's that's come in, Laurie, didn't you? There's also a piece on Zidane Iqbal as well in the offing on The Athletics, so keep your eyes peeled for that. He did make his debut, if you missed it, in that match between Iran and Iraq. What an experience for him coming on as a substitute in that match. He could also play again 
for Iraq later on today. And also we need to mention the women's team because they had another win at the weekend, uh, a 2-0 win over Bridgewater United. And they're now through to the fifth round of the Women's FA Cup. That'll be a great match to look forward to, certainly. And there's also, of course, a derby in the WSL coming up that's going to be live on the BBC in the coming weeks. Add to that as well, the match against Everton taking place at Old Trafford on March the 27th. And I'm sure many people will have seen that history was made at the weekend because there was a very interesting player brought onto the pitch for Manchester United. It was the first time that a father and daughter had ever played for the club. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was there in the stand to see his daughter Kana come off the bench and make her debut, which was a brilliant moment for the women's team and a brilliant story for Manchester United fans. And it was great to hear Mark Skinner, the manager after the match, praise her finishing skills as well. So the apple never falls far from the tree, does it, in that regard. But of course, before we go, the reason everyone tuned in is they want to know whether you managed to get Harry Styles tickets, Laurie, because the reaction to this on social media was unprecedented for Talk of the Devils and people need to know, will you be there when Harry sings at Old Trafford? I can confirm that our pleas were heard. I think Harry must have listened to the podcast, realised that I'd not got a ticket and added an extra date on. So the next night, uh, he's put another date on and we managed to get two tickets for that one. So thank you for everyone's concern. I've got a couple of messages uh, that I got received on social media from a couple of people. Mark and Karina, thank you for flagging up that this extra date had been added. Uh, and Andy, you've had a bit more dialogue, have you, with uh, a certain member of the Stars family? We've got a Des update, have we? <laughs> I'm smiling for the first time in this podcast. So a couple of hours after it went out last week, uh, a couple of the lads I'd mentioned from Holmes Chapel United fans said, Andy, Des comes to all the games with us, Harry's dad. He's one of our mates. We go on holiday with him. He's a normal lad. You were stood right behind him at that funeral two weeks ago. So my claim to fame, we didn't know it at the time, of being at a party with uh, Harry's dad, Des, 15 years ago, I was actually at a funeral with Harry's dad, Des, just before Christmas. So I've had more messages from people who go to games with him. So I think it's pretty clear to say that um, uh, his dad is a, a big Manchester United fan who goes to matches. Um, I'm sure the lads who are listening to this will probably tell him about uh, this podcast. Uh, they said some very nice things in seriousness about Harry. Uh, I was at a funeral of a lady, um, Lauren Haywood, and we dedicated United. We stand to her uh, in in December. And I was told a story that Harry had, had rang Lauren throughout her illness for... Um, lots and lots of times so I think those those friendships said um, because he's from the Holmes Chapel area are long established and I just thought it was nice the podcast went out and suddenly I'm getting messages saying we go at the game with Des so great yeah it's brilliant wasn't it yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm sure um sure before we know it, we'll get Des on this podcast and Des will get Harry on this podcast and by the end of the season we'll have Harry Styles singing the Anthony Langer song Perfect. It's going to be a hit, isn't it? Definitely. Brilliant. Andy, Laurie, thank you for your company. As always, on Talk of the Devils, thank you for listening at home as well. Don't forget, there's a 33% discount on a subscription to The Athletic at the minute. You can get that by going to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. We'll be back on Thursday with our preview to Manchester United being back in action in the match against Middlesbrough. Uh, but for the minute, thanks for listening, Des and friends. See you later. Bye-bye.
The Athletic.